0: Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Today, we are coming to the end of Ephesians. And I was, I was praying about it because I thought, man, should I go one more week on the armor of God? Should we dive into that one more time? There's so much there. But as I was reading through the final chapter in this amazing letter, I realized, gosh, so many times I just skim over the last paragraph. I just skim over the last, the final greetings of Paul, either at the beginning or the end of the letters. But if you pause for just a second and you look at what he's saying here. What struck me this week is that the final sentences, the final greetings of this letter, they contain so much. It's not just a a throwaway item at the end. Paul is legitimately summing up the entire message of Ephesians in these last few verses. Here's what he says in Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. This is God's word. He's writing after the armor of God. He says, I want to bring you up to date. Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, for this reason, that's why I've sent him to you, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage your hearts, to encourage you. Then he ends, he says this, peace be to the brothers and faithful love from God. So peace and love from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. With love incorruptible. And I love that word incorruptible. It's the same word in Greek for undying, immortal love. Love that cannot be corroded, love that can't be decayed, love that will never end. He goes, grace upon grace and peace and the love from God to all of you who in return love Jesus with an undying, incorruptible love. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, he says it like this, and I thought he summed it up so well in his commentary on this verse. He said, this after all, in regards to incorruptible love, is what being a Christian is all about. Loving Jesus with an undying love in response to his dying love for us. Isn't that amazing? Loving Jesus with an undying love in response to his love for us. Paul says this, look, if I could leave you with one thing, One simple question. If I had to sum it all up, the most important thing that I would say to you, church in Ephesus, church in El Dorado Hills, church throughout the world, is look, make sure your love for Jesus doesn't die. Make sure your love for Jesus doesn't fade. Look, it all comes down to this. Do you love God and do you love others? And there's gonna be a lot that comes against you in this life that's going to attack and corrode your love for Jesus. But he's saying, friends, I don't want that to die. You can lose a lot of things. You can move on from a lot of things. You can let go of a lot of things in this life. But friends, you cannot lose your love for Jesus Christ and be okay in the end. You can't lose that. You can't let that go. So the question is this. He doesn't say, grace be to you who know him, believe in him, who accept his claims of divinity, who trust the central claims of Christianity. All that stuff is important. That's part of it. He goes, grace be to you who love him with love that doesn't end, with love that remains with Jesus to the very end. And friends, we know love is more than a feeling. It's a verb. Love is Action that flows from faith and the Holy Spirit. Love is personal transformation that flows from a relationship with God. There are a lot of things, there are a lot of beliefs in this life that change over time that you can let go of. I thought about this, I came across a list of things that kids believe that they no longer believe as adults, or at least hopefully you don't believe this anymore the number one thing on the list, and I was like, wow, there are many of these that I absolutely, I bought into that full on hook, line, and sinker when I was a kid. I believed, along with many other kids apparently, that if I accidentally ate a watermelon seed, then a watermelon would grow in my stomach. Anyone else? Okay, just me, I feel great. As a kid, I believed, this one I actually think I still believe. As a kid, I believed that all teachers lived at school. Kind of like firefighters, they slept at the school and they never ever went to the bathroom. Think about it, I promise you never saw your teacher take a bathroom break. It's just one of their many superpowers. One of the common beliefs among children is that all dogs are males and all cats are females. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, How many of you believe that white cows made regular milk and brown cows made chocolate milk? Yes, I was, I don't know if it was my dad that started that one with me or where that one came from. But friends, there are a lot of things, a lot of beliefs that change throughout your life. There's a lot of things, a lot of beliefs that you can let go of that aren't going to have a massive impact or effect on your life. And there's a lot of things that you can endure and survive and go through in this life and still be standing on the other side. In fact, if you're in this room today, if you're breathing in here today, you know, my bet is this, you've been through some stuff. You've probably been through some things that you thought, I'm not going to make it through this. I'm not going to make it through this pandemic. I'm not going to survive that bad investment. I'm not going to survive the, the, the marriage that fell apart. I'm not going to survive this failed business venture. I'm not going to survive this trauma. I'm not going to survive this abuse. And friends, what Paul is saying here is this. You're stronger than you think. You can survive more than you even realize. Many of you survived yesterday, and that was a massive win. Some of you are here today realizing, wow, God has sustained me. He's given me strength, and I can walk through this. I can make it through. And Paul is saying you can survive a lot, probably more than you realize. What you cannot survive is if your love for Jesus dies. And friends, there is a difference, isn't there? Between honeymoon love and 40-year anniversary love, love that lasts and love that makes it right. Today, my wife and I are selling, celebrating, selling. <laughs> We're celebrating our 13-year anniversary for our marriage. <laughs> love you, sweetheart. It is. Um, it's amazing to think back on just the difference, right? Between. The honeymoon, the early years, and then 13 years in, and not long ago, I think it was last month or two, dear friends of ours at the church here, they celebrated 40 years of marriage. I thought, man, I guarantee you we're gonna look back at year 40 and say, gosh, we had no clue what love was at year 13. There's something powerful about that, though, right? The honeymoon love, it's based on hopes, Based on potential, man, I hope that person becomes who I want them to be, and they've got so much potential. Friends, please don't marry based on potential, but we all kind of do. It just happens. Marry somebody based on reality, right? But the infatuation, the crush, the love, the early days of love, it just sucks you in. And you've got just these starry eyes about what the future's going to hold. And, you know, you're looking at your future spouse or your newlywed husband or wife, and you're saying, man, I don't know what people are talking about when they say marriage is hard. We're, we're going to do it different. We're not going to be like them. Then year two or three, and, you know, a few kids later, and a mortgage payment later, and you know, all the stuff later, and you're like, dear Lord, get us to year four, please, Jesus. <laughs> then you arrive at year 13 or 14 or 40 or whatever it is, and you realize, wow, this love, it's, it's not based on who I hope that person is or the potential that they may have lived up to or not. This love is beginning to get based on who they are and who they've become. And I'm choosing to love them for who they are and who they have become. It's not based on potential, but a love that has endured all the dreams that never came true, all the potential that was never reached, all the heartache that comes from sharing your whole life with someone else. Love that has weathered storms, loss, sorrow, depression, sickness, death, children, children that wandered off the path during their teenage years, and Lord willing, will come back. Friends, The love that Paul wants us to cultivate for Jesus is that kind of love, love that makes it, love that makes it through. And the question is this, how do we do this? What does it look like for us when Paul says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love, with love incorruptible That word incorruptible, it really stood out to me as I was studying this final sentence of the book. It's amazing, the last word of the book of Ephesians is incorruptible, love incorruptible. The whole reality of something being incorruptible, it means this, if it's incorruptible, it's the the state of not being subject to corrosion, death, decay, corruption, disillusion, or interruption. If it's incorruptible, it can't be corroded. It can't be killed. It won't be corrupted or decayed. Corrosion really stood out to me as I was looking at that list because corrosion is the gradual deterioration of substances or materials as a result of chemical reaction or their environment, the environment that they're in. And I thought about this. I said, man, there really are three stages. If you step back from it and think about how, how does our love for Jesus grow cold? How does our love for Jesus die? In a culture right now that is rapidly becoming post-Christian, in a culture that is rapidly turning away from faith in Jesus, and many people are deconstructing their faith in Jesus, how do we guard against that? How do we not go this way of love that's been corroded and and dies. I think it's becoming aware of what happens, the stages of love corrosion. So there's three that we're going to go through today. The three stages of love corrosion. Number one, it begins with environment, the environment that we're in. What are we surrounded by? And then the environment that we're in, the stuff of our life, it leads to neglect. And friends, we know this, but love can survive a lot of stuff, but it will not survive neglect. And once you've neglected something long enough, it leads to indifference. And the thing that struck me was this. Often I thought the opposite of love was hate. But I've come to believe that the opposite of love is just indifference. Indifference just says this thing, this person, this reality does not matter for my life. I don't care about it at all. It's not even on my radar. I'm indifferent to it. Hate, anger, is actually love that's been infected by hurt and pain, and it's because you care about something a lot and it hasn't gone the way you wanted it to go. You're hurt. Indifference is, I could care less. So let's dive into this. Number one, environment. Here's the best analogy I could think of. I came across it this week. Uh, in my newsfeed, I, I, I saw this headline, um, for this news article, about this, this ship that had some trouble as it was coming across the Atlantic Ocean. And it was about this gentleman, Jim Herschauer. And Jim was in the market for a luxury vehicle and not just any luxury vehicle. <laughs> hey, I wanna get this right. A, uh, how many horsepower did this thing have? My gosh, it was a lot. 470 horsepower Porsche Taycan electric car. And the only way for him to actually get this car was to custom order it from Stuttgart, Germany. And it's crazy. Apparently, if you buy that kind of a vehicle, Porsche has an app that you can download called Track Your Dream. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. So he's tracking his dream from the assembly line all the way to the, the truck or the train that then brought it to the shipping yard where, and I wanna make sure I get all these words right. So... To the port city of Emden, Germany, where that Porsche Taycan was loaded on the Felicity Ace, which was a massive cargo ship, along with 20,000 other luxury vehicles, including Lamborghinis, Bentleys, Mercedes, and Ferraris. as one expensive boat, okay? $400 million worth of cars. And Jim's tracking his Porsche across the Atlantic, and he goes to bed one night, and it's made it about halfway across. And he's thinking to himself, "I can't wait till I wake up the next morning and see how much closer it is to me." Tracking my dream. Here we go, Porsche Taycan. And he wakes up the next morning, and he notices the little blue dot on the Track My Dream app has not moved. He thinks this is concerning. What's going on? It's been making great progress every day. Now it's stalled or stuck in the middle of the ocean. You don't know where the story's going. And uh, so he gets on the message board and he, he sees a very concerning article that someone else posts about the Felicity Ace, the engines caught on fire and it's adrift at sea. And then he gets on his weather app and he notices this massive system coming right for his little blue dream dot. And within a day, the the ship had turned sideways. It took a massive wave to the side and it flipped over and sank two miles down to the bottom of the ocean. Fun fact, there were 15 uh, Lamborghini Aventador Ultimates on that. The last 15 ever made, custom ordered by people in America. Uh, That's a rough day. Insurance, really rough day for insurance because as you read through it all, insurance in order to fulfill the order had to rebuild the Lamborghini facility that had been shut down and disassembled so they could remake those last 15 cars for the people that bought them. Insane, that's expensive. But here's what struck me, right? What's happening right now to those Lamborghinis and Porsches and Bentleys and Mercedes? They're corroding, That salt water is getting to work on the paint, on the metal, and all the components of the engine. Friends, they are not designed to survive an environment like that. It's a corrosive environment. Within a few years, they're going to become just another piece of coral reef at the bottom of the ocean. Not even identifiable as vehicles or luxury vehicles of any sort. And so my question is this, and... You know the question I believe Paul wants to get across here with this reality of incorruptible love is are you putting yourself in an environment where your love for Jesus can grow are you putting yourself in an environment where you have some other people in your life who are pushing you towards Christ and re- reminding you of the truth of the gospel are you are you surrounding yourself with some version of an environment where faith is fostered and nurtured and grows I love this because what Paul did here is so intentional. He says, to bring you up to date, his closing remarks here, he goes, I wanna keep you updated. Tychicus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. He goes on, and this is why he sent Tychicus he says I have sent him to you for this very purpose to let you know how we are doing and don't miss this to encourage your hearts to encourage you to fill you with courage he said I know what you're up against I know your fearless leader me Paul is in prison I know the culture around you in Ephesus, and we learned about this all through the letter, is not very conducive to walking with Jesus. In fact, it's constantly pulling you back into old forms of pagan deity worship and temple worship and all sorts of things that are corrosive and destructive for your faith. And so Paul says, I know what you're up against, and so I could have just sent you a letter. The Roman Empire, actually, this was wild, They have, they had a public courier system, a public mail system. You could actually, you know, take your mail to, uh, you know, an employee of the Roman government who would then take a whole bunch of mail from one city to the next and your mail would get delivered in the Roman Empire. And Paul goes, Look, I didn't send the letter of Ephesians like that. I sent it through Tychicus, my beloved brother, because he can embody the message of the letter to you. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to let you know that even though I'm in chains, I'm okay. I'm still doing the work of the gospel. Even though you're experiencing spiritual warfare and trials and hardship, And your old life is calling to you, and you're still learning how to live this new life in Christ, and you're tempted to go backwards, and you're struggling. The Jews are struggling to love the Gentiles, and the Romans are struggling to love the Jews, and there's division in the body of Christ, and church is hard, and I get all that, Paul says. So I sent you this guy that I love. His name's Tychicus, and he's going to encourage your hearts too. Not only is he gonna give you this letter, he's gonna give you a, a new perspective, a new encouragement in the midst of your environment that's trying to rob you of your love for Christ. See, Paul understood that we are constantly being shaped by the world around us. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, Hebrews thirteen fourteen. he says, this world is not our home. We're looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. Ephesians 2:6, just earlier in the letter, talks about God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. John 15.19, as it is, you don't belong to this world. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, verse 10. He said, Pray to God, Father, your Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And so what Paul is saying is this, I want your life to be like an outpost of heaven wherever you are. I want you to live kingdom down, heaven down. I want you to influence the world around you with heaven. Don't let the world around, don't let the world around you influence the heaven, the life, the new life that's been put inside your soul. I want you to bring to bear on the culture around you the reality of eternity. Remember, this world is not your home. You're living for another place. But everything in this life, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, is sucking you into a temporal mentality, not an eternal perspective. It's trying to get you to value the things of this world. Every day is a battle, friends, for your perspective, your loyalty, and your love. Every day is a battle for your perspective, your loyalty, and your love. What will you pursue? What will you chase? What will you believe? How will you respond? Will you live as though heaven is your home? Or will you live for this moment? What will shape your life and your decisions? Who will convince you? In a capitalistic society built on a free market, Every company on the planet is trying to sell you something. Their vision of the good life, their vision of happiness, their vision of of what it means to have purpose and meaning, their product being the only way for you to get there. And so we are constantly bombarded with a culture that says, you don't need God, you don't need Jesus, we're going to show you happiness another way. And Paul says, hang on Don't let your love get corroded by this environment. Same is true for the church in Ephesus. Looking at the three stages of love corrosion, number two, the environment, because we're so busy, we're getting sucked into a million different things, we're getting distracted. If we're really being honest... It's really hard to pray, it's hard to get in the word, it's hard to make it to church on Sunday morning, it's hard to stay involved in a small group, it's hard to be around people that are gonna encourage and build you up in your faith. That's hard, right? And so our environment often leads to neglect. I'll get I'll to get church next week. I ah, just too much going on this week, I can't make it to small group. I'm just tired and I'm worn down. It's way easier to watch Netflix than to get in the word. I'm preaching to myself right now in Jesus' name. It's way easier to just, gosh, not get up early and spend a few minutes in prayer with your spouse or going to God in prayer for the issues that you're walking through. And and friends, I said it earlier, but I want to say it again. Love can survive many things, but it will not survive neglect. This is true for your marriage, for relationships, for everything. But especially, it's true for your love for Jesus. It will not survive neglect. The writer of Hebrews, he said it like this. He said, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect, neglect such a great salvation? It's just so easy to neglect it never forget every year when I was growing up, we would go to my grandmother's house in Charlotte, North Carolina for Thanksgiving. All the cousins would get together. And it was so fun. We looked forward to it every year. But there was one part of Thanksgiving that we just dreaded. We hated it. My grandmother, she was British. And she, uh, her name was Patricia. We called her Mumsy. And she had a few missions in life. One of them was to uh, (laughs) force feed us, you know, good cultural things like manners, right? As little kids, you know, we had to eat the right foods. We had to eat things in the right order. And she just, she was very prim and proper. And she wanted us to know, you know, how to hold ourselves in a way that was proper in different situations. And she had a set, I'll never forget this. She had a beautiful set of solid silver cutlery. So spoons and forks and knives. And you know how it is. You go to a fancy restaurant, they got all the different sizes and you're not exactly sure where to start from the outside in with the smallest you know, forks and spoons and what, what, you know, which one do I use for which course of the meal. <laughs> and she was determined that we would always know the order and how that whole thing went. Now, the problem was not, the forks and the spoons and the knives. The problem was that she only brought them out once a year. And so when silver sits there neglected and no one uses it, it looks like this when you open it up the next year. And there was a whole bunch of it. It was something that she had inherited from her mother. Been in the family for a long time and it gets tarnished just by sitting there neglected. You don't have to do anything to it for silver to tarnish. And so she would lay on the table all these pieces of tarnished silver cutlery, and she'd hand us this little mixture of stuff that we had to scrub on all these different pieces of all these forks and spoons and knives until they were returned to their original, gleaming, beautiful selves. Awful, took us forever. We hated every, I mean, character, yes, built character. I'm grateful for it now, but dear Lord, it was awful. And what struck me was this. Gosh, it's the mundane stuff of life where you cultivate your love for Jesus. It's the daily getting up and just getting into the word, even a few verses, even five minutes of prayer. It's just pulling out the tarnished knife and, Grabbing out, grabbing a, a rug or a, a little scrubber, and you're just, every day, I'm gonna make sure it doesn't get tarnished. Every day, I'm gonna work on this a little bit so, so a layer doesn't form over my heart between me and my love for Jesus. Every day, it's just the mundane reality so that it's not something I open once a year and I see, man, it looks awful, it's ruined. It's a daily, mundane, habits of prayer, the weekly habits of being in community, worshiping together, showing up at small group, because without it, neglect leads to indifference. It's amazing to me because Paul, at the very end of his letter, he says, I want your love to be undying. I don't want it to die. Don't don't stop. Don't let it get corroded. Don't let it get tarnished. Keep your love for Jesus alive. And then we fast forward in the New Testament to Revelation where Jesus writes a few letters to these churches. He writes letters to seven churches and one of those churches is the church of, of Ephesus. And Jesus, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, listen to what he says. This is remarkable. He says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. He says, I've seen your love the 50 weeks. I've seen the way you serve your community. He says, I know you don't tolerate those who are evil. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. He goes, Good job. You've got great doctrine. You discovered the false teachers that were trying to lead you astray. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Way to go, church in Ephesus. These are all really good things, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first, meaning return to your first love. Return to cultivating love for me first and love for each other. He's like, look, you can do all this other great stuff, but if you lose your love, first for me and then for others, None of it matters. It all falls apart in the end. The central reality of Christianity that makes it different from every other religion is not the good works and not the stuff. All religions ask people to do good things in order to earn their way into heaven. The central reality of Christianity that separates it from every other religion on earth is that we live our life from a place of unconditional love from God and then love back towards God and love outwards towards others, not to earn anything, not to work our way into heaven, but just as an overflow of a life that is still in love with Jesus and in love with others. That's what Christianity is. And so Jesus goes, guys, I know Paul said it at the very end of his letter to you before he was killed and martyred for me. And I'm reminding you, he was worried this would happen. You're doing a lot of great stuff, but return to your first love. Come back to me. You're drifting. You're neglecting it. And neglect It always ends in the opposite of love. It ends in indifference. I just don't care anymore. Indifference is a lack of care, interest, or concern. It's not even on your radar. It's kind of like this thing right here. Ever seen one of these? I had never seen one of these until a few weeks ago. This is a drain connector that is meant to go from a dishwasher drain tube and connect it to a garbage disposal under your sink. So this is a thing that makes sure that all the nasty, dirty dishwater draining out of your dishwasher makes it to your garbage disposal where it can then be washed down into the sewage. This thing's very important. Our dishwasher broke about eight months ago and I got it all set up but the one issue I had is because we have an old garbage disposal, the uh, connector that came with my dishwasher to the garbage disposal didn't work. wasn't the right size. And so I did what any man would do in that situation. I duct taped it. <laughs> you know, I just jerry-rigged it, MacGyvered it, you know, duct tape, uh, some clamps. I'll go to Home Depot tomorrow and buy, you know, one of these things. And then just in case my MacGyver job didn't work, I'll put a little Tupperware, you know, bucket underneath it in case it leaks. Now, what do you think happened the next day? Life got busy. I'm running kids around. We're running the dishwasher. Nothing's leaking. Started to notice a little smell in the kitchen after maybe a week or so. I was like, man, what's that smell? I had completely forgotten about this thing and the existence of this thing. And my... You know, my dirty, rotten dishwasher leftover water had been flowing up and not quite making it to my garbage disposal, but leaking down into this bucket. And it was kind of mixed together with like the leftover garbage disposal water and the dishwasher water. And it was just this lovely, smelly concoction, smelled like dead animals. I literally was like, did something die under our house? It's not even like coming into my mind, that my amazing duct tape job might be failing. I was indifferent to it, I didn't care about it, it wasn't on my radar. I was, I just, whatever, right? Never in my life have I ever cared about this drain connector piece, ever. Until my wife ran the dishwasher one morning and the little tub that was collecting all the nasty water was already full and overflowing. The cabinet underneath that we hadn't opened in about a week and a half was full to the brim, to the very edge, and that last run of the dishwasher just so happened to collide with a garbage disposal that was already full of gunk, and it just drained all over our kitchen floor. And we came home to just one of the most glorious smells that we had ever smelled in our entire life, and guess what? A week and a half later, I was no longer indifferent to this little thing. Suddenly, this became the most important reality in my life. After cleaning up my kitchen and the, you know, the floor and, you know, putting fans and Clorox bleach all over everything. Where do you think I went next? I dropped everything, went to Home Depot and bought one of these things and fixed it. It wasn't until I got really in touch with my need that it led to action. You see, indifference is basically a lack of our awareness that we need something. We're so distracted. It's just not on our radar. We don't even care about it. And I thought about this. Friends, this is what, this is what Jesus was dealing with with the church in Laodicea. It's what we're dealing with in the Church of America. I read this article by one of the primary voices in church leadership in America, and he was revealing the studies of a Barna um, survey that went across the nation and Pew Research, studies church trends in America, and this is what he wrote. He said, a recent Barna study reveals that 22% of Americans who had regularly attended church in 2019 said that they had stopped attending church entirely. It's one in four. Among boomers, that figure rises to 27%. Barna also learned that in-person church attendance has dropped 39% since 2019. So some people are still attending that 22%, but perhaps it's online. And he he said 39% He said, this figure is staggering. It represents the single largest drop in church attendance in American history. Wow. Let that sink in for a moment. We are living in the midst of the single largest drop nationwide in church attendance in American history. Look, I know, I get it. you're saved by grace whether you attend church or not. Attending church is not how you get saved. But I promise you this, if you don't prioritize the community of God, you're not gonna grow in your faith and you are gonna be subject to being swept away, drifting away, or decreasing in your love for Jesus. You need to surround yourself with an environment of faith. And and here's what he said, This, this struck me. He said, I call it the great reset. It impacted almost every church in America. In many ways, what our culture has been through over the last two and a half years is a rethinking of everything that people would do and not do as the world reopened. People rethought their lives. In many ways, what our culture has been through is a rethinking of priorities. Attending church dropped off the list for most Americans indifference I love this line I mean I don't love it but it's so true he said indifference in effect created a quiet quitting of church some people left for political reasons others left because they were upset about leadership decisions still others left because their friends stopped attending people left because the church opened too soon or it opened did not open soon enough However, Barner research has revealed that most people who quit attending church aren't angry or irate In fact, they didn't even think of themselves as leaving. They just stopped coming That's what indifference does you stop coming, but you never really think of yourself as having left You just don't care anymore. You don't see the need for it. It's not adding anything to your life Going to church was no longer a priority because spiritual growth and health We're not a value. America is becoming decidedly less Christian. COVID exposed something that was quietly happening beneath the surface surface of America for the past 50 years. The church in America has been in steady decline since the 1980s. The drop in Americans identifying as Christians is as surprising as it is sharp. In the early 90s, over 90%, think about that, 90% of U.S. adults identified as Christians. Today, less than 60%, it's a 30% drop. The fastest growing religious affiliation in America is something called the nuns. And I am not talking about Sister Teresa at the convent up the road. We're not talking about Catholic nuns. What we're talking about is people that say I have no affiliation. I don't care. I don't want to get into the discussion. This doesn't matter for my life. I'm indifferent to it. It's the fastest growing religious affiliation in America. No religious affiliation. Not against it. I'm not for it. I'm not atheist. I'm not Christian. Just doesn't matter for me. It's like a a drain connector that just is completely irrelevant for my life. And Jesus, writing to the church in Laodicea, he says, your indifference is born out of your lack of awareness for your need. If you don't think you need it, you don't care about it. If you don't see your need of it, it doesn't matter to you, it's not on your radar. And he says to the church in Laodicea, he says, you all think that you're rich and you have need of nothing and you don't see that you're poor and desperately in need of me. And he says at the end, be diligent and turn away from your indifference. Turn away from your indifference. You see, the one thing God will not tolerate among his people is indifference. Indifference is the end of the road for neglect. If you neglect your love for Jesus, it will die. You will become indifferent to him, to the church, to any of it. The only way to stay in touch with your, with your love for Jesus and to keep it alive and to keep it, to keep it burning with the Holy Spirit fire that says, Lord, I need you and I love you is to be aware of your need for him constantly. Friends, we never graduate from grace. Close with this story. In Luke 7, Jesus is invited to one of the Pharisees' houses. Simon, a Pharisee, asked Jesus to eat with him. It says in verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. It's a nice way of saying she was likely a prostitute. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment now when the Pharisees and the others saw what was happening they were indignant it's like I can't believe he's letting her do that doesn't he know doesn't Jesus know who she is she's unclean How dare she even come into my house? Why isn't he casting her out? Jesus, don't let her touch you. She's disgusting, she's flawed, she's dirty. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, which is one of the most disturbing realities of Jesus, you can just see your heart and see your thoughts. He tells them a parable about a man who was forgiven a lot of debt and a man who was forgiven a very little amount of debt. And he said, Simon, who do you think is going to love more? Who do you think is going to love the person who forgave their debt more? The one who was forgiven a little bit of debt or the one who was forgiven a ton of debt? It's like, obviously, the one who was forgiven a lot of debt. But what does that have to do with this situation? Get her out of here. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, Simon, Friends, indifference is born out of our lack of understanding of our need. When was the last time you knelt in your soul at the foot of the cross and you looked at Jesus hanging on the cross and you thought, you died for me. When I was dead in my sin, when I was running the other way, when I was lost and bound and addicted and spiritually dead, you died for me so that I could live eternally with you, so that you could raise me to new life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for me. When was the last time you were undone by that? When when was the last time that that was not a lukewarm reality in your mind or a side thought in your life or just like a random drain connector that you don't really care about? When was the last time you sat there and just wept? I just thought, "I I can't believe what he did for me. Paul says, if you want to have undying love for Jesus, you have to first see the faithful love of Jesus for you. You have to first see the dying love of Jesus for you. You have to first see the fact that Jesus was not indifferent about you. He did not neglect you. He came into your environment to save you because he loved you. And so the question right now, the central heart of Christianity It's a simple question, do you love him? And friends, if you're here today, we're about to take communion together and you've not yet taken a step of faith. You've not yet responded with love for Jesus. You've maybe said, yeah, I agree with the central claims of Christianity. I've checked the the boxes on the right facts and the right stuff, but I don't love him. He's not first in my heart a lot of other things are first in my heart right before we take communion together which communion is a symbol of the undying never ending love of God for you because Jesus body was broken for you and his blood was spilled for you but I want to pray and I want to ask everybody just to close their eyes and bow their heads and if you've not yet taken a step of faith I want to invite you into that right now And in your heart, I just want you to say to the Lord, even in your heart, as you picture yourself kneeling before the cross, say to Jesus, thank you, Lord, for dying for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved me and gave your life for me. In your heart, say to him, Lord, I believe that you overcame death so that I could live, that you rose again. In your heart, say to him, Lord, I trust you with my whole life, put my faith in you. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.